0: Good day, and welcome to another Forge Side Chat, a podcast about blacksmithing, bladesmithing, and everything in between, with a heavy focus on talent in the Great White North. Today's episode's a little bit of a special one. We're not heading into Canada once again, but we're sitting down with two people that I I consider these people very, very important people in my life when it comes to blacksmithing. I look up to both Derek Melton and Brian Houseward a lot, and I lean on both of these gentlemen for advice, not just in the business world and blacksmithing world, but life advice too. And You'll hear a little bit about that as we dive into this episode and get to feel the the depths of this. This, this one goes deep, you guys, and, and I apologize if it, it touches on anything a little bit too much for everybody, but... It's deep, and uh, I hope you appreciate it. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Started off, thank you, gentlemen, so much for both of you sitting down with me and giving me the opportunity to have some time of your day. I know you're both extremely busy people, and uh, the opportunity to have both of you at the same time is just dude I feel like um, somebody's given me an absolute blessing in life because (laughs) (laughs) yeah no seriously this this podcast has done so much for me to say the least and I know Brian your podcast has grown huge it's doing good things for you Derek you're podcast was amazing you've been kind of until i quit yeah you you said you've been laying (laughs) off on it lately but man you had some amazing information in your podcast dude
1: yeah mine's uh highly uh highly unrefined
0: yeah i I like that i like how you do that how you would go for walks and you would you know talk while you're going for a walk or for a drive or whatever how had that loose aspect to it and that's one of the things i really appreciate about all the different podcasts that were kind of kind of part of this like podcasting community. Like we know each other. There's really one other person that I think would be freaking really cool to have in this conversation, but you start adding more people and it just kind of gets, you know, too much yeah. or whatever. Brian, you were just on Jeff's podcast recently, and you guys actually brought up a lot of the stuff that I'd kind of like to bring up with you on today's episode, if you don't mind. Uh, maybe we might end up going over a a couple of the same things again, but you are business oriented. Your podcast is business oriented, intended, blah, blah, blah. Derek, you're very much in the same boat. I've watched you and how you go about business, and I am absolute like, just, I want to soak up what you guys do 100%. I look at you guys and I'm like, these guys are successful. They know how business works, they know how blacksmithing works, they need metalworking. And Sitting down with both you guys and getting a chance to pick your brains on that kind of stuff is a massive opportunity, not only for myself, but for our listeners to be able to soak up all this information. What I soaked up from the podcast with Jeff Fader and yourself, Brian, was a lot of self-help kind of information, which, like I said, I'd like to go over some of that stuff, but also Mm. just how to approach business as a blacksmith and as a maker. There are certain things that you have to consider about going into that versus any other business. For example, um, you know, my wife runs a, a cleaning business and she looks at what I do and she just doesn't really quite understand. And that's when, one of the things I, I'd kind of like to bring up with you guys. Like, when What is it that you guys do as far as Controlling your business goes. How do you understand inventory? How do you un- understand sales and lining all that stuff, organizing all that stuff, keeping yourself managed with your time? Um, Brian, you just jumped into this whole metalworking business not that long ago, really. You dropped the IT business and you jumped into metalwork. Derek, you've been at this for quite a bit longer from my understanding. I don't actually know how as long a, you've been at it. As a
1: hobby. Okay. Yeah, as a hobby, I've been at it for a long time. As a business, only for five years now. But? So not that, not a whole lot
0: of that, time. That hobby stuff built up to the business. It wasn't like one day you're like... Absolutely. And that that's what I'm talking about. Guys like myself, that's... And I see lots of other guys in the blacksmithing, blacksmithing community, knife making community. That's how they're building their business up. They started as a hobby. They realized this is a passion. This is what I love doing, but that's,
1: that's the way most people start out. You know, it starts out as a, as a, Hey, let me try this. And then it turns into a passion. And then it turns into, Hey, I think I can make some money here. And then you start thinking about, well, how does that work? I've never owned a business before, all that kind of stuff. So Brian probably has a lot more insight having previously, I think you, did you own your business, your, the computing business? So you already had yeah. some business knowledge, right? And so that, that's extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. And the way that you started your metalworking side and you know, the housemaid business is probably way different than I did it. And if I had to go back 20 years when I, you know, first started playing around with knife making, if I had to go back and someone said, okay, look, by the time you're 50, you're going to have a side business for this and and you're going to be making money at it. Um, If you had told me then, I probably would have found my way there completely differently than how I did. You know, so I think we all, those of us that have businesses that are built around this, I think most of us have gotten there all different kind of ways, you know, but, but your, your, your points about, uh, you know, you, you sent us uh, a list before the podcast about things we want to talk about. One of the things I think that you pointed out was like, you know, uh, what was your decisions on when to turn from a hobby to a business? You know, yep. yep. if I had to go back and do it all now, I'd probably do it way differently than the, than the way that I actually did it, you know, in, in what way, um, uh, well, I would have started saying no a lot sooner, mm. you know. And I think a lot of people that are in the hobby side, they 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 realize that people are going to buy their stuff. It's usually it's usually friends and relatives start saying, "Hey, I'll buy that from you," you know. And so then they they build up a little small customer base like that way, and then they might go to start going to shows and selling things. And then the thing I think, and this is a trap, I think. Is, is that people start taking these custom orders. You know, people say, oh, hey, I saw that thing you made. Can you make me this thing? And so you start doing this back and forth. You're like, I'm making this thing. I'm making that thing. I'm making this thing. I'm mm. making that thing. You're all over the place. But you're, you're excited about it because you're getting orders in. Right. But what I found was that that order list, that custom order list was just soul-crushing as far as trying to figure out how do I, how do I tool up my shop, you know, because this project is different than the last. And so if I had to do it all over again, one of the first things I would do is establish a small product line, like focus on, on one or two things. And like, let's, let's figure the process out for making this thing, uh, making this grinder, you know, like in Brian's case, focus on on the revolution. First, And don't do anything else. Focus on that thing and get that thing tuned out. Right. And, and so that you're happy. And in my case, it was like, you know, I think I started on a, a particular type of hammer, you know, focus on that one thing and make nothing else and tell everybody you're not making anything else. And man, that is so hard. Yep, it is so hard when you're starting out to tell people that come to you and say, hey, can you make me this thing? And you turn around and go, no, I can't, I'm, I'm doing something else. And so I think that's the number one thing I would probably do sooner or do differently is, is start saying no sooner.
0: You're hitting home here, buddy. I'm feeling this deep right now because that's half of my battle that I'm, I'm definitely in that boat of not
1: saying no. I right think now. everybody faces that at some point. Yeah. yeah. Brian,
0: your approach to this obviously you had insight to this because i don't know was it your previous business that gave you insight that you decided that you're just jumping in and creating essentially a product line and you're sticking to that have you ever done custom orders of any sort
2: no i mean we if you look at the history of where i started i was a service-based person you know we my business was service-based it was all staff and billable hours and that's a rough road. I mean, uh, you know, mm-hmm. how do you determine, you know, like I've, I worked on this network for this long and I did X, Y, and Z. It's very hard to determine that. And I did that for 15 years and honestly, it burned me out. IT people, Derek knows this, is a, uh, high burnout. You know, it's like being a doctor. It's like being somebody that uh, yeah. a lot of pressure. And so, um, you know, the burnout rate is pretty high. So you have a lot of turnover and stuff. And then, you know, being the owner of the business, You know, my role eventually became just me managing staff and just making sure the customer was happy. And, of course, I had diversified income. You know, I I always believed in that. I always, you know, just knew that one day, like, I'd need something else. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I did some real estate type stuff. But uh, commercial real estate, you know, I bought the building my my computer shop was in. You know, just things like that that kept me, you know, in case I had a bad year. You know, rent was paid. Um, But when I moved into Housemaid, it was a hobby. My story is most people know this, but I started making knives in my garage and working on a motorcycle. And I started metalworking and I started figuring it out. And then I realized like, I really like doing this and sharing my journey on YouTube. And then, um, I had an incident with my handmade grinder that, uh, threw a knife into my apron and it scared me. And I realized, you know, I, I need a better grinder, one that I can get tracking better and all that. So I started learning CAD and I really took control of my future by educating myself. I couldn't afford to go to school. I couldn't afford to like just drop everything and do this. This was nights, weekends, and everything else. And I learned. I learned SketchUp enough to design the revolution. And when I did that, and I produced all these, I documented my progress of creating the grinder. Um, half a million people watched me do it. And that told me, okay. So, like, you see some of my content now. You see millions of people watching it. I look at those numbers and I go, "There's something to this." If you know how to monetize it, you can do it. You can figure out a way. But like Derek said, if you get to that like shiny new apple stage, and like, oh man, today I'm making grinders, and tomorrow I'm going to make hammers, and tomorrow, you know, the next day I'm going to be making scoops, and the next day I'm going to be making forges, and it it becomes a It becomes to the point where you're spread a little too thin. So at that time, I decided I'm going to just focus on grinders and I do, and I did that for three years. Like I didn't have any other products; it was just that machine. And you too, right?
1: uh, Say again. Was was it just you doing that? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was just me, and I made enough money to where I felt like I could do bigger things, and I sold my IT company, so I could just. Mm -hmm focus on housemaid. Yeah. I was ready to get out anyway. I really disliked, I probably would have closed the doors if somebody didn't offer to buy it. So I just really disliked the work and yeah. it was really tough on me. And I'm so glad I don't have to do that any longer. But the, the, the moral of that story really was, is that I was focusing on something I was passionate about. I think that's like the big key here is a lot of people ask me, they go, well, I want to do something with my time. I want to start a side hustle or I want to do this and that. And I always tell them, Begin at the end. Remember that when sales are very slow, things are really bad and you're not making any money, the only thing that will keep you working every single day, sometimes 12 to 14 to 16 hours a day, is that passion piece, the thing that you love to do. Now, you have yeah. to do it smart. Don't dedicate yourself. I, I'm i with you 100% on custom orders. Like people ask me to do custom stuff all the time. And I'm just like, I'm not, I don't get into that game. I'm I'm more of a manufacturer. We'll build you a custom machine based around a core design, but then mm-hmm. that's it. And I focused on the revolution, gen one through five. We're on five now. And that became like, it, I watched the evolution of the revolution just sort of take hold. And now, of course, there's a lot of guys doing what I'm doing. And 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 I get this message all the time. Man, there's so many grinder makers out there. There's so many people doing what you do. And man, how do you keep afloat? It just seems like there's so many. The market is saturated. I hear this over and over Honestly, the machine, the grinder, is just one thing. It's just one part of a, of a business. Yeah, a business is logistics, customer service, production and manufacturing, staffing, you know, all of capital. You have to have money to do all these things. So when someone says... Did you see that guy's design? Oh man, looks really great, and you know maybe he's going to make the he's going to be the next Brown House. He's going. I said, well, I hope he has all those things in, that I've got, and I hope he's got all that runway that I've got. Yeah. I, yeah, and I I don't look at it like you know I look at it just like okay they've
1: got to they've got to be pretty diversified. That's, and that's kind that's of how I move forward. It's kind of a scarcity mindset too. You know, I, I hear that in all kinds of areas of. I'm going to say the communities. Uh, bladesmithing and blacksmithing kind of as one, Mm -hmm. you know, there's this kind of idea I hear from time to time. uh, Oh man, now that guy's selling more hammers than I'm selling, you know, Um, or, you know, uh, I've got to change what I'm doing because this guy's doing more of the same kind of product that I'm doing. You know, it's like the, the market is big enough that if you focus on what you're doing and you make something good, if you put your all into it and the quality of what you're making goes up, you're going to find people to buy your stuff. You're mm-hmm. going to find eyes to get on your social media. You know, you're going to find the, the people will find you if if you're passionate, if you're having a good time doing it, and you're you're decent at it. You know, you've put in the time to to you know raise your skill level up or your expertise level to a certain degree. Once you, once you spend that time and get your skill level and expertise up to that point, then that scarcity mindset of, Oh gosh, I've got to compete with all these other people kind of goes away because Mm -hmm. you're, you're just, you're on your own path. And, and it's not like, I don't say that taking for granted The success I've had in business and the the following that I've generated, I I don't take those things for granted, but, you know, it's kind of like a snowball effect. Once you get on that train and you stay on that train, then the momentum just kind of keeps you going, you know? And like Brian was saying, when you have those down times, like, like right now, my business is really slow, to be honest with you. I'm not selling just a whole lot of the things that I've been selling the last couple of years. Really, I'm not 100%, 100% sure why. I think some of it is I've pulled my foot off the gas pedal a little bit from a marketing perspective. And I'm mm-hmm. totally okay with that right now. But with this downtime that I've had, you know, I'm still forging. I'm going out there and I'm making stuff. And I'm, kind of, I'm developing some new things that I want to do this year. I'm coming up with new ideas. But it's not because I have to. It's because if I don't go forge every once in a while I get itchy and irritable and it's because I'm not doing that thing that I love to do. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm not bashing some metal and kind of shaping things out under the hammers, then, then I'm just not super happy. And so that's what Brian is talking about there is that starting with the end in mind, find what lights you up like that. And then the the business will happen. The sales will happen. You know, the, all, all the things that are necessary for it to be, Successful will happen, and that sounds like it sounds uh cliche because you hear everybody say that. Well, there's a reason that we say that it's because it's true, it works, you know. Yeah. I mean, well, i if I were
0: to rewind time about 20 years ago, my life was dedicated to snowboarding, it was that was my passion, but I had to step back and take a look at things and realize where's this gonna go you can only ruin your body for so long snowboarding. And there's only so much to do as far as business goes in that genre of this world. I mean, you know, you open up a store, you could get into the the marketing and sales side of, of snowboarding or deal with some sort of um, entertainment side of it or whatever, or maybe go work at a ski resort. But the, for a, a, somebody like me that really wants to, to kind of have their own path to forge their own path for, uh, per se. Snowboarding didn't allow that unless I was to become a professional athlete. And that's just, that wasn't in the books for me to become uh, an X games rider or an Olympic rider or anything like that, or even a, a super competitive rider. There just, that wasn't in the books for me. So I had to kind of take a step back and look at things and reevaluate my, reevaluate my life. And metal work was something that, I knew I was very interested in, but I didn't realize the passion I had for it until I found blacksmithing. And that didn't happen until 13 years into working with metal. I finally re- discovered yeah. blacksmithing and working on an anvil with hot steel. And I was like, why didn't somebody show me this before? Damn it. And, and then yeah. and there was the wheel started churning and learning all the things and realizing that there could be, be something here this could be a business and then the want for it to become a business started to grow and that anticipation for it to become a business but knowing that it wasn't there yet and what I'm seeing f- from my perspective anyways is a lot of guys I mean a lot of guys are getting to that point of like they want it and they're like I'm gonna do it and they jump into it f- cold feet whatever whatever the yeah, it's like let's do this, and they they don't take the time to understand all the all the points that they've got to put together. Like Brian was explaining, the marketing, having assets, and that's one of the things that I actually wanted to ask you guys about. At what point of collecting things in your hobby do you say I've got enough to make this a business? Because that's one of the that's, that's where I'm that's at right now. Different
1: everybody yeah 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 it's it's gonna be different for everybody so brian uh is full-time with it so it's you know it's his livelihood right uh i'm i'm part-time with it it's it's not necessarily my livelihood um i have a full-time job that i that i do and i do this when i can now um i would say you know it's gonna be different for the single guy the married guy, the divorced guy, the, the guy who doesn't want a family, you know, all, all those guys in all those different situations, that, that trigger point when you pull the trigger is going to be different for everybody. Um, my general rule of thumb, I get that question a lot. When, when should I go full time? And my general rule of thumb is whatever your current source of income is now, all right, if that's a, if you're working for a big corporation or whatever, all right, do this little experiment, take, take the money that you're making now, if you have to create another account or whatever, but let that paycheck go over there and live off of your hobby, live off of your passion, push the pedal down, push the pedal down on that side and, and, and just see what it's like. It's going to be rough. It's going to be tight, you know, obviously, you know, but it's going to give you a really quick picture of, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't pay the mortgage and eat right now if I'm just doing this, you know? And, and so, I mean, just do it like for a month or two or you even do it on paper, you know, and just see, but, but the danger is, is to let all that excitement,
2: you mm-hmm. know,
1: uh, run your mouth in a place where you shouldn't like to your real boss. And it's like, well, I've had enough of this. You know, I I can go do this on the side when you haven't done the work to see if you can do it on the side, do all that, uh, do all that experimentation on the side first and and get a comfort level. It's like, can I do this? Is it going to work? Is it going to work when the business is slow? You know, when things aren't selling, like in, in January, February, right now, my business is always slow because people have blown all their money in Christmas. Like, November, December, October, November, December. I'm like, I'm like gangbusters in the shop. I have to be. Usually slow, and so,
0: I because I've heard that from a lot of people that January slows right the heck down. What about Valentine's Day? We're makers. We should be banking on Valentine's yeah, Day, right? We'll see. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I don't push any Valentine's Day products. I don't have any horseshoe hearts or you know, <laughs> you know, horse. Uh, I mean, uh, heart shaped, you know, forgings that I push on that day. I could, mm-hmm. and if this was my full time business, I would, I would have been planning for Valentine's Day in December. Yeah, you know, right. So yeah. I don't know but how Brian makes that determination about you know whether or not to go full time or 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 how he answers that question. But that's how I answer it. If people ask me that, I just go, okay, how 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 successful are you now in the hobby? Is it just barely paying for your sanding belts? Or or is it allowing you to buy power hammers and presses and and you know, because once if you've got a business going that's if you've got a side hustle or hobby that's paying for those big kind of expensive tools. Once you get all those tools, then yeah, you probably are doing well enough to, to live off of it. But again, that's going to be different for the single guy versus the guy with kids, you know? Well, and that's something that you
0: face because you have a family. And I feel like that is probably part of the reason why you haven't decided to just be like, I'm leaving my yeah, day absolutely. job, right? Melton works benefits suck. <laughs> but there's also, there's a the side to it that you have to, you have to realize like, I don't have the ability to put the time towards the business And I won't have the time to put towards the business because I have a family and a day job. And unless I give up the day job, I'll never have that because I'm not giving up the family, obviously, right? So you have to give or take somewhere giving. So either you start like sleeping two hours a night or you, you know, you're going to burn yourself out trying to work a full time job and a full time side hustle. And that's, that's kind of where I'm feeling myself lately working like 18 hours a day and going like, holy crap, this isn't balancing out. I, I got to find a balance here somewhere. Right. And Brian. And if
1: you, if, yeah. And sorry. if you combine that with being scattered in all directions with mm. custom work, mm-hmm. that's going to leave you pretty frazzled.
0: Yep. You know, it does.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the, uh, It's just like having children. When you start a business, there's never a good time ever. It's like, you should look at it like that. And I've always said I'm unemployable. I only worked in the private sector for like six years and that was it. I could, that's all I lasted. And, um, and that's because, you know, I'm just, I have a problem with authority. I have a lot of reasons for it, but it's really just my personality. And there's people that are literally unemployable. They will always be entrepreneurs. They, They would rather work 80 hours for themselves for half the pay you know that's me i'm like that and when you do that when you so to give you a frame of reference i quit my very cushy government it job uh, where i was making a really great living in 2006 and then we know what happened in 7 8 9 10 and 11 which Mm -hmm. is the worst financial disaster this country has ever seen or the world has ever seen really uh, subprime mortgage conflicts, all these things that were going on at the time. And when I made it through that, right. And I like to call that period of my life, the baptism through fire. Right. So I I managed to stay. I had no choice. If I wanted to go back to work, I could, there just wasn't jobs. It just didn't exist. So, uh, I, I managed to make myself very valuable during that time. Uh, people tended to repair rather than to replace during that time because it was cheaper. Mm. So that was to my advantage. Although I didn't make, I know ne- I did not make my salary the the same salary as making in my government job. I did not match that salary until probably ten years later. Mm. That gives you a frame of reference. Okay, yeah. but I I was happy with it. You know, I enjoyed it. Like I worked for myself and, you know, the last five years of owning that company, I just really disliked it. Was, I was done with it, but I had a great 10 year run. So uh, when I moved over to Housemaid and I started doing this, I ran both companies side by side for a year and realized that I really want, didn't matter to me if I was making less money doing Housemaid. I really enjoyed it. And at that time, my life started to change a little bit. I got married to someone who brought in income. You know things like that. Yeah. so there was different there was more to my part. life. big, big part. So there's all these little variables that you have to take into, into consideration. And my wife, Sarah, now I was able to create Housemaid, grow it to the point where she was able to quit her job and come work for me full-time. Mm-hmm. So that turned you know it was like table turn. you know it was like awesome. Yeah. you know she supported me for those two years while I was building the company she had a bad interaction with her boss, like multiple bad interactions with her boss. And I looked at her and I just said, you know what, maybe it's just time you quit. Come work for me. You know, if you don't do it, you know, if we can't match your salary in say six months, then we'll reevaluate. Yeah. Um, And and we never had to to change. So a lot of, you had to make a lot of smart choices in there and look at it like that. And I think everybody's instance is a little different. And so, but what I've learned is your habits are what make Mm -hmm. you the man you're going to be, right? So whatever habit you apply to cooking dinner or making a hammer or going to your day job or whatever, you're probably going to apply those same principles to your business. But the only difference is, is I highly suggest you make a plan, you know, write it all out and bank some money, have that rainy day fund, you know, have six months, you know, of of capital, you know, because if you don't have that, and something goes wrong, then it's catastrophic, and then you're put in a position where you have to go to work and you have to close your business. And now you look fickle, and now people won't buy from you and mm. run, all that
1: stuff. So take those things
2: into consideration.
1: I guess. Yeah, and you got to think about where, you know, I'm sure you have, I'm sure you have a a, a future plan for kind of what you want House Made to be. You know, you've kind of got this idea in your head of five years from now, you want to be you know, doing more than you're doing now, probably. Um, you and so you you're, you're thinking in that direction, and uh, and so, regardless of whether it's full time or part time, you know, where do you, where do you want to go with it? Is it just is it just to make you a little side money, or is it to develop into a uh, a bigger thing? You know, and I I want it to be a bigger thing eventually. And right now my life circumstances don't allow that. And so what my philosophy is uh, I'm building a foundation of some basic things that when I'm ready, I can just turn it up to 11 and, and go, you know, full force with it i'm just not ready at that you know at the point at this point and from from what i know about you derek is i and i
2: kind of see your plan too and in my head maybe i see this this trajectory that you're on um you have kids that are going to be out of the house you know soon, yeah they're going now mm-hmm. okay and at that you know you got probably a few more years of your working career and then I see you shifting your, your, your life into your into what you're doing. And I think your gifts, from what I see, and this is for me on the outside, your gifts are in education. Like you're really, really great at compiling information and giving it out and distributing it. So maybe at some point you do classes and all of that. But also I, you're really great at the social component and, and you're, you're connecting people and you're talking and you're bringing forward these concepts and these ideas and that part of that business, I think, in blacksmithing in particular, there's a lack of. I just think that there's not a lot of people that can do what you're doing. So, you know, whether or not you decide to make money with that uh, trait, you know, is up to you, of course. But I kind of like yeah. see
1: how you're going. I, I had a conversation. Well, the lady that I was talking to you about, um, super sweet family, I met at the Texas Blacksmith com- uh, Conference. She bought my little How to Get Started ebook, or whatever and uh she's like hey i enjoyed it but i'm an editor and i see some things that could really help you and one of the things that we talked about um i've got an idea that is right in that lane that you're referring to that i'm going to develop into into a product you know that could be something bigger down the line but but it takes those aspects teaching and socials and all that kind of stuff and kind of wraps it up nicely um but, and, it, and the reason I think you see that in me it gets back to the original point we we're talking about. It's because I love that, man. I love showing people how I do things, not because yes. I'm some major expert in it. I just enjoy doing it because I, I was given a whole lot of education and instruction when I first started. And I remember how much it meant to me for some mm. guy, some old guy you know, when I was just getting started, somebody that was 50 years old was an old man. And so now I'm an old man. And <laughs> and so I remember what it was like when an older guy took the time to like really explain something to me and and just give me some of his personal time. It just, it stuck with me to this day, you know? And, I, and so I'm like, man, that meant so much to me. And now on the other side, it's it's so fulfilling to me just to give somebody some ideas or like, hey, this is how I'm chamfering a hole, you know, a very, a very basic thing, but the way I'm doing it might be different. It might open some ideas for how you can change a process you're doing, man. I just, that lights me up to do that. And so that's definitely part of where I'm going. And, and it's, and it's the reason why I love this community because we're all, we, we, you know, you're not in this community long. If you don't, enjoy or participate in that in some sense. You may not be doing it a lot. But if you're not at least somewhat helpful and non-gatekeeping, then you kind of get left behind by those of us that are kind of pushing forward in the other direction. And yeah, man, I want to keep I want to keep that going for the for the community and and selfishly for me because I I get so much out of it too,
2: you know. Totally, totally.
1: I I know what
2: you're saying because I went to maker camp this year and I watched all these guys use my tools. Right. And it was just like, for me, I, that was, there was no better feeling. Like if yeah. people were trying to talk to me and I'm watching like Cliff Dufton and John Ariani and these guys, you know, using yeah. my forages Wizards. and the, and uh, uh, Jay Nielsen, you know, and, and all these, you know, they're forging and they're making some a canister to mass this and that and the other thing, you know, and, um, and then I got feedback from them, you know, they're, they're telling me, oh, I like this. I don't like this. I wish you did this. Yeah. And, I'm, and, and at this, and I'm standing there and I'm watching hours, we're talking hours because it was an open forge, uh, at, in the evening. And I would, and it's funny cause I go to bed at like, like, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock. I'm a, <laughs> I wake up early. I'm an old man yeah. now, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so I, I this is going on to one, two in the morning, right? And everyone is of sober mind. There's nobody drinking or there's a couple guys standing around with beers, but there wasn't anything like that. It was yeah. not a party. This was a demonstration. Jeff Fader, these other guys all involved. And I I saw like this, the what these things are, because it's just like, okay, it's a tool. It's, a, it's an item. It's a product. There's all these things in my head, that's swirling around and all my R&D and all my development of everything I did with that to all now boil down to this one moment where i'm standing in albany new york or east durham and i'm watching these artisans use my my tools which i i don't even use them the way they were using them and i i don't you know i'm not yeah you
1: you, you're probably surprised by how some people are using the tools yeah yeah and so it just really made me feel
2: like I contributed to some greater good of the human civilization. As dramatic that's, as that sounds, yeah, but the education—it's yeah. there's nothing better than being able to verbalize or and vocalize or say, give someone the keys to the kingdom and say, "You go do something with this now. Yeah. You you've yeah. got the you've got this now, and I want to see what you do with it." That's true education, and and yeah. and um, and I believe that it's just our duty as leaders in these communities people who uh, you know are seen as someone that maybe has a little more information than others it is our duty it is our responsibility to pass that on to younger generations people that don't have it and if you don't do it like you said the gatekeepers and all these people i always i've run into a lot of that in my industry because gatekeeping is a thing especially online nowadays you can't you know like i get booted out of just about every facebook group i go into because there's always somebody who is the admin of that group or a moderator of that group who is trying to sell when I'm selling. Mm-hmm. And so they don't want me in there. Even if I am sharing valuable data, that's pertinent to that group. They don't like, yeah. it. you know, they don't want me in there. And, um, and I just think that that doesn't work. You know, you, you can, how many of these backdoor deals are you going to make with people? You know, let them decide, you know, if they see my stuff and they want to buy it, let them decide, uh, but uh, this community does a really great job of weeding out that kind oh, of yeah. riffraff, you know.
0: Yeah. And there's there's a, a drive to that, too, um, when it comes to the education side of it and helping people. It's a noble cause. There is a lot to take in when it comes to doing something like that. Um, when you're giving back to the community, giving back to humanity, that that can really up up your game like as a, as a person how you feel as your about yourself and that that's actually another thing that i I said that I'd really like to talk to you guys about is your self motivation how do you find yourself the, you guys are motivated people that's one of the things i, I, I both, you share the same aspect of being disciplined, motivated and disciplined. And I think that's really the key to success for both of you is your discipline. You, you, you make goals, you set out those goals, you drive for those goals, and you, you, you gain from that. As you move forward with your goals and you see the success coming, It just drives you further forward. The same thing goes with the education. As you move forward with education, you see the benefits of that education to the community, to the the people that you're, you're educating. And it just helps drive you forward to do more, to do better, to keep on being that better person. And these gatekeepers, per se, or whatever, it's like, I don't know, it's like they're shooting themselves in the foot in a way by being... I don't know, ignorant in a way in that aspect. I don't know if that's the right way to look at it because maybe they just, you know, they're on their own. And it's not to say that they can't have successful businesses. There's guys that run successful businesses that are, they keep to their own, right? They're not community driven people, (laughs) but there's also the aspect of being this community driven person that has put to you two gentlemen in the position of being well known in the community, well respected in the community. People will reach out to you. A.K. Myself for help on a regular basis. Hey, Derek, how do you do this? Hey, Derek, how did you do that? Brian, can you, you know, help me with this? And both of you guys have been super awesome about that. Where was I going with this self-motivation?
1: Yeah, self-motivation and discipline. I've seen Brian talk about running. You know, you get up and run on a treadmill, you know, and like you were saying, the habits that you develop in other parts of your life translate directly into your business. And um, one of those things for me is physical exercise. I mean, I go out and run and or take a long walk or, you know, go for a bike ride or something. And man, there's a lot of times when I don't want to do it. I absolutely don't want to do it, and I have to channel my inner David Goggins you know and beat myself up and 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 say go do it and and that translates to the shop too. There are times when I don't want to go to the shop, you know even though I'm passionate about it after after November and december when i'm when I have spent every available spare moment fulfilling the orders that are coming in you know, I, I go through a period of, of kind of burnout, but, but I have to kind of force myself to go out there and the forcing myself to just go out there, get a piece of steel hot and start beating on it. The, the physical act of doing that brings out the motivation again. You know, it starts, it's the physical act, the habit starts getting me back in that routine and then I go, Oh yeah, I, I like this. And, and man, I, I would not say I'm a very disciplined person. I mean, personally, I would say I'm good at yelling at myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, you know, my dad was a Marine and, and, um, he was a very driven, disciplined, hardcore Vietnam vet, Marine guy. And, you know, he didn't let me get away with a lot of laziness. And so maybe that translated uh, to that, to some of that degree. But really, I think the last 10 years, what's helped me more than anything is these other habits outside the shop, you know, the physical exercise and, you know, just trying to make sure that I'm doing right in other areas. And then that kind of translates over to the business. Cause if, if you're falling apart in one area of your life, it's, you're going to be starting to fall apart in other areas too, you know, the, hard, the hardest part of
2: anything you do is just getting started. You know, if, if you just did, break it down into a bunch of series of bunch of tasks and that first step is usually the hardest. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned is take that first step, you know, just get in there, take the first step, figure it out. Um, owning a business is like, like being on a sinking ship, you know, every single day you're like walking around going, where's the water coming from? And your focus tends to be on the hole in the boat. So, you know, you're patching that hole and then another one will spring up over here and so on. It's a series of problem solving. And so once you just, you know, eventually you get good at it and you just learn to deal with it. But the self-discipline portion of this is I, I consider myself an addict and i I talk about this all the time. I'm an addict in a lot of ways um and I see addiction as a as a uh spectrum okay not you know there's some people that are addicts and they're junkies and they're on the street and then there's other people who are addicts and they're fully functional people that have that do, they you know they drink a whole bottle of wine every single night before bed or they, uh, you know whatever it might be, it could be an addiction to a lot of different things. Yeah. that is me. I am the functional addict, okay and so uh, I learned this about myself probably about ten years ago, but it took me ten years, probably up until last year before I really started to examine why I was doing certain things mm-hmm. and when I understood, okay, I am an addict now, and I need to know this and and say it state it publicly. And talk about it because I think it's important because there's a lot of these functional uh, addicts out there that are that think that everything's fine. And um, I'm here to tell you that um, everything was probably okay. But eventually in my later years, all that uh, lifestyle caught up to me. And then I, re- I heard Jimmy Duress to talk about this. It really took somebody like Jimmy to say something like this that really hit home. He said, I was an alcoholic. And I knew that it would kill me if I didn't change, so I quit alcohol and I put all of that energy into my work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's got to go somewhere. Through. It's got to go somewhere. You yep. shift it one way or the other. Okay?
0: Gotta wonder how and, many of us are actually addicts, dude? Right.
2: Well, I think it's a common human trait, and I I, I think many of us fall in that spectrum. Okay, and some of us are better at uh, managing that than others. And I was really terrible at it. I come from a long line of addicts. Okay. Uh, My grandfather was a brilliant, brilliant man. And, um, but he drank a case of beer every day, you know, Mm -hmm. he got never he had all these inventions that were sitting in his garage that he never did anything with because in here he couldn't cope and he was drinking and you know, just getting himself uh, wrong. He never, never fully committed to getting sober. So, and I did, and I, I did this about uh, eight months ago, and I have seen dramatic change in my health, number one, mental health and regular health. But beyond that, I'm a better business owner, father, husband, all those things. So, you know, when you approach anything in life, look at it like, you know, self uh, determination, looking inside of yourself to see why you're motivated to do certain things. And I can tell you, like in my 20s and 30s, I was chasing girls. You know, that's my, that was my motivation. I was chasing yeah. girls and I was chasing money. Yeah. And I realized all of these things are hollow endeavors that do not, they do not fulfill you in any way, shape, or form. Right. What truly fulfilled me was my purpose, my passion, my drive for the things that, you know, that give back to me. Some people find this in religion. Some people find this in their work and their their education and and philanthropy and all these things. There's so many different ways you can channel addiction, negative things into positive things. But you have to learn. I got to grab that yoke and I got to shift. Do you think there's
0: something that you could have said to your younger self that would have changed that trajectory sooner?
2: No, because i'm hard headed yeah. you know I think i have to, i had to I probably had to really learn it for myself and honestly th- the words that came out of Jimmy duress's mouth when he said that on the podcast and was making a podcast he was talking about this it hit so hard on me that somebody I loved and respected took the time to say this and and kind of just open up about it it hit me so hard that it would take months to, for me to fully engage that behavior but it impacted me so i feel like i have a duty now because a lot of people look up to me and look up to my work and stuff i want to say the same thing like look you you can if you ever want to talk about that you know I'd lo- i would love to talk to you about it just because i think it makes us it makes the world a better place but the reality of what where i'm going with this and the, on the motivation portion of it is that Every day when I was not sober, when I was being an addict, when I was fully giving in to that functional addiction, I was still getting up and working 12, 13, 16 hours. I was still going and doing, but I was not, I would say I was 40% as effective as I am today. Mm-hmm. I was not emotionally correct. I had a lot of like, you know, anger and blowups. I was doing things that were that were more making decisions based more on emotion than I was the actual situation. And when I got sober and I cleaned myself all up and i realized, okay, I need to reevaluate all this. I realized like all of that behavior was actually, I was in my own way, you know? So if you can, if you can look at yourself in the mirror, like, and really look at yourself and figure out, okay, what motivates you? You know, that passion piece. Why are you doing this? Why do we do anything at all? And then take that and move towards a common goal. Then beyond all, you will have success in every aspect of your life. It will start to fall into place one after another. And I think that if I can get that message out to more people, um, and I talk about this on the Work For it podcast all the time now, I'm I'm a big proponent of mental health and understanding why we do certain things. I will say that when I was an addict and I was giving into that behavior, it was based around fear. I was scared yeah. and I needed to, something to calm me down. I needed a substance to calm me down and I had too many ideas in my head and I didn't know where to go with them. And then when I found metalworking, I found um, the, the workshop work that I do now manufacturing. What I realized was is that up here, I had so many things happening that I needed something that would hold my attention long enough to distract me from all the other things. And metalwork got me there because you can live 10 lifetimes and not know one one hundredth of this hobby. You will never know it all. Oh, totally. And then you get the opportunity to hang out with all these amazing people who pretty much are the same exact way. They want yeah. those things. And that's how I I really think that that's the reason why I think I'm supposed to be doing this work and I'll probably do it until I can't any longer.
0: Do you think the fear of success is something that holds people back? Hmm.
2: Yes, I I think so. I think they, they get a taste of it and they go, Oh man, this is big. I don't know what to do with this. And here's what I'll say. And and I felt this way, but I'll, I'll just say real quick, the, that fear that you're feeling of success is a good thing. Embrace it. And no one's going to hold your feet to the fire. This is There's a no pressure situation. These are high class problems. If you're having success, then lean into it. Lean, lean, lean. And then see where it goes. Because, you know, people forget. Like if you have a failure, and I've had many, um, that people are like the, you know, the, uh, the dog in uh, the movie up, you know, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. It's, it's that whole thing. They, they are so easily distracted. People don't, they they don't think of you as much as you think they do. The one thing you can't back off from is getting a bad reputation You get a bad reputation mm-hmm. for cheating your customers and doing negative things and being bad. That's going to be really hard to clean up. However, there are many people in this world, some bigger celebrities, that have really done some bad things, that have managed to turn themselves around and the world embraces them as long as they are yeah. genuine about their absolute you know, change. Yeah, yeah so, I was
1: gonna make that, that a similar point. You you ask if you could go back and tell your younger self, you know, you know, stop doing this thing that you're addicted to or stop this behavior. I, I would not have listened to my younger self. I mean, to an older. I, I, I would not have listened because the the pain of that behavior has to get to a point where it's greater than your fear of moving past it. You know, wow, that's that's you, deep. <laughs> you have to get. The, you, I mean, really, yeah. You, you have to. Oh boy, you know. um, I mean, this is going to get real. But I, I suffered from an addiction in my twenties that a lot of—I'll just say—a lot of young men in our country suffer with, and it'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your marriage, and the pain and shame of that got to a point where it was greater than the fear of losing everything. Mm-hmm. I got to a point where I, I, all right, I'm going to lose it all. I'm going to lose my marriage, I'm going to lose everything. I mean, just to get real and get super real. It's pornography, you know? And so I, my, my father, when I was a real little kid, my father had a huge stack of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I found it when I was really little, too young to find that stuff. And it affected me my, my entire adult life. But I got to a point in my mid twenties where the pain of that was so great and the shame of it was so great. Hiding it, you know, running around scared was so great that I just came to a point after after listening to a, a message from, you know, my pastor, I got to a point where I was like, you know, the only answer here is honesty. Mm-hmm. The only way through this, the only way through this is telling someone. And they really the only person I had to tell at that point was my wife. And let me tell you what. That was a scary conversation, but mm-hmm. she covered me with grace and, and uh, coming through that was very difficult. I mean, it's difficult to talk about now. And I, I hesitated to even say anything because this is a major, a major thing, but a lot of people don't want to talk about it.
0: Totally dude. Yeah. And you know, it,
1: it affects you for your whole life. It, it still affects me to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives me anxiety about, Uh, all kinds of things. But the, you, you, my younger self, if I had showed up, if myself now would have gone into a time machine and and talked to my younger self, I wouldn't have listened because the pain wasn't great yet, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I had to get to the point, you know, and I think a lot of addicts get that way. A lot of addicts get that way. They get to a point where the pain of the addiction gets to a point where they they're either going to die or they're going to get through it. And when you get through it on the other side of it and you're open and you're honest about it, that opens up you to grow. And it also opens up an opportunity to help other people. I've been able to have conversations with other people, close, close people in my life, other, other men in my life where I've been able to tell them things that I would not have been able to tell them had I not gone through that, you know, And that's been extremely powerful for me, not only just in my personal life and overcoming that, getting through it, but the lessons that that taught me about keeping your character, you know, like Brian was saying a minute ago, you know, you you can recover from moral failures, you know, lying to your customers, you know, you can recover from that, but it, it takes a lot of work. And you basically have to start all over, you know. And uh character and moral fortitude really only comes through walking through those nasty ditches, you know. And uh so man, yeah, I didn't know I was gonna share that with everybody today. No, no so. kidding, dude. Thank you, man. I I... Well, I don't know if that's relevant, but oh yeah that that was That was my addict struggle. My mother was a, um, my mother was an alcoholic and a drug abuser. I had to have her committed to a mental institution when I was in my late twenties. Everybody on that side of my family deals with that kind of stuff to some degree. I deal with it, you know, the anxiety and depression, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and the, the discipline you're talking about has I think it's come to me as a survival um, technique, I guess, for lack of a better word. If I'm not disciplined, then that tendency in me takes over. And so, you know, in my mid twenties, when I faced that hardship and went through it, something had to take the place of it. And it was running and triathlon and exercising and all that, you know, all that mental activity had to go somewhere and that's where it went. Yeah. You know? yeah. and, and those develop other habits. You
2: know? If you look at the, uh, any like historical data on people who run and typically people who run uh, marathons or do like any sort of daily cardiovascular exercise, it's all addicts. I mean, we're doing hundred yeah. yeah, we get try to, yeah. to burn through some of that energy, do something difficult, Um, to, you know, like I lay in bed and I wake up at like 5.00 AM every morning. And I, um, I know that my process is to wake up and exercise, even though I dislike it. Um, and I've also taken on this crazy trend of, uh, Doing a cold plunge every morning, sitting in forty. Oh, you're one early. of those people. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah,
2: it's it's, 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 it's crazy stuff. Uh, I I I haven't really talked to publicly too much about it yet, but it's it's really changed my life because it's a difficult process. Like everybody says that. Yeah, I'm just too big of a chicken. Well, I was too until I did it a few times, and I realized that I could, uh, you know, become kind of like I could t- uh, spearhead something in myself to do something difficult when there's absolutely no reward like there's just none none to come back really so the cardiovascular exercise component of it really is just to clear my head and i'm sure you feel this way derek where you know you get out on a run oh yeah and you come back and you're like i'm clear i can totally different different. yeah i'm a different different person after a run yes yeah same here and i was I was at the point where in my life where exercise was a source of panic for me, I was having anxiety because I would get panic attacks. My heart rate would go up and then my head would say, every time your heart rate goes up, you should panic. So I was having like, you know, this, and I realized like I'm killing myself. I mean, I'm drinking every day. I'm doing negative things to my body every day. I'm not exercising. I'm going to die. Like this is going to kill me eventually. And so um, I got a treadmill and I literally just started walking. It was like being a baby again. Just walk and walk for thirty minutes, and then walking turned into fast walking, turned into jogging, turned into running. Yeah. And I had to do that all. and Now I get my heart rate into zone three, and I'm, I'm, man, I'm cruising. I'm good. I feel great. But I, what I didn't realize was the alcohol was a source of my anxiety. A lot of people don't realize this, mm-hmm. but even if you have one drink, one. Just one. That's it. The next day your body goes into a slight detox and that detox feeling is usually anxiety. So if you have an anxiety problem, cut out the alcohol and, you know, give it a give it a week or two yeah. and find out did it did it. Did it change Did your anxiety go away? And if it does, then, you know, because I hear all these people talking about how they have anxiety and there's, you know, they're constantly uh, feeling fear and panic and I'll ask them, well, what do you do to do- you calm yourself down? Well, I have a cocktail and I, you know, blah, blah, you know and I, I mentioned this to them and they never believe me because they think the alcohol calms you down. Well, it does in the moment, but then there's this follow-up, this next day situation. Mm-hmm. So uh, not that I want this whole thing to become part of that. You know, I really mentioned the addiction thing because I wanted to talk about self-discipline. This is really important yeah. because it's yeah. really difficult to say to someone Hey, you should be doing this every day and then go home and get drunk every night. It, to me, I cannot preach what I do. I cannot go on work for it and morally state to people like have a side hustle, do all this and try to change your life when I can't even keep my, my mind right. And my moral compass was, was bent. I felt like, so, um, I, I want I you know I just I know Lando you and I have talked privately about you know how you wanna like get your life to, you know change your life and, and I think partially the reason you have Derek on I on the show is because you're looking for answers for yourself. No you wanna know like <laughs> Yo
0: yes. I, I've said it before, <laughs> man. Wanna... I pick the brains of the people I look up to because you I wanna be where you guys are. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, care, careful what you wish for.
2: <laughs> I was about to say,
1: well, I mean, if, if my story today hadn't scared you,
2: <laughs>
1: well, that, okay, Brian, okay,
0: and I apologize. You, I, think- I, I responded with a "wow" to your story, dude. The reason I said "wow" is the fact that you're willing to share that, dude. Amazing. Thank you well, so it's just,
1: much. It's 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 addictive. Uh, it's a, I don't know if it's personality or if it's genetics, you know. But like I said, everybody on my mother's side of the family, pretty much to a person, has struggled with some form of of addiction,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's made me who I am. It's a part of my story, whether I like it or not, right? You know, and. Um, I've shared that before with, with other groups. I've never, I've never shared it with this community before. And I don't know what that's going to do. Some people probably are going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. But, you know, deal with it. That's, that's my story. That's, that's, that's the that's, best way to approach that's made it. That's made me who I am today, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, like, like Brian was saying earlier, you I forgot the train of thought there, but anyway, in a nutshell, you don't get discipline without struggle. And part of my struggle is that is 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 that story in my life. And part of Brian's strength now is his struggle that he's gone through. And and but you know, that's the human story. Everybody out there is struggling with something. I don't. I, I, I do not. I do not believe otherwise. Partly because I'm a Christian, and I believe that that's that's my worldview. Is yeah. that you know, sin sin entered the human race in the very beginning, and we've been dealing with it ever since. And but but I find that to be a a, a truism uh, across all country, cultures and religions. You know, we every I, have, I I've never met a perfect person. I've met a lot of people that are good pretenders. <laughs> but I've never met a perfect person you
0: but what I will say is the
1: people, the people that I know who have come through a struggle like that and then they're and then they're honest about it it's 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 an inextricable part of their very being. Brian probably thinks about that addictive struggle every day of his life in some form or fashion at some point during the day. He thinks about that part of him. And I'm no different. And Lando, you're no different. There's there's something in your life that that besets you. Oh
0: yeah. Oh, that yeah.
1: you think about every day, that you struggle against every day. And it's might, a constant might be more push, than one. You know? <laughs> might be more than one. Yeah, thing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It's probably more than one. You know, as so probably with
0: almost everybody, right? And 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 furthermore to what Brian was saying, why I brought it up is not only do I struggle with it, and I see this as an extremely hot and important topic to be bringing up in our community because I think, like you said, everyone is suffering from some form of struggle in this, in it, maybe a, an addiction to drugs pornography uh these are things that, that i've struggled with in my life for a long time and there's people that struggle with all sorts of things so for us to be talking about and being open about it it to in my point like like i've watched brian be open about it, i've watched other people be open about it it helps other people be open about it it helps other people yeah. it helps other people heal and and brian yeah. i thank you so much for Everything that you've brought up on your podcast, mm-hmm. the words that we've had, you have helped me overcome a lot of that uh, anxiety, I guess, that gets attached to that. To start to learn the path towards healing, being to betterment, to, be- to being better, is how I look at it. Right?
2: It's it's one day at a time. Every, every single what I've learned, in, you know, with all, everything I do is you you have so many hours waking hours in your day right and you're going to go off and make money a portion of those hours and you're going to be with your family a portion of those hours you're going to do self-care in those portions of those hours and for me what i've learned is that sobriety is one day at a time that's it it's it's from that point forward I, i or my addiction whatever it might be that i'm trying to conquer for instance I also know that I'm addicted to sugar. That's like one of the things yeah. I love sugar. I love sugary things. And that's like one of those, right. That's one of those Absolutely. things that we kind of look, we look at this, this substance like, eh, it's sugar. Yeah, there it's just sugar. Hey, Emily, and who's the I realized, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, we, and, and I have learned that if I want to keep my healthy body, that I need to abstain from sugar, you know, not not like completely, but just you know, try to get it down into moderate uh, amounts. So, and I think a lot of my other addiction, even to like when I was drinking, I drank a lot of wine because it was sweet. and I liked the sweetness of mm. it. Plus it modified, you know, my, my vision. and And I felt like, You know, every time I would just sit down and have a glass of wine, it was like everything was right in the world. You know, there was just this like feeling like, and immediately I just felt like it was okay. Everything was good and I could let go and I could stop thinking for a minute and turn it off. And then what I re- and then the next day, of course, is chaos. Right? You feel sick, and you don't like you know your body's hurting, and all these things, inflammation, and everything else. Well, sugar is the same way for me. So yep. I realize, and beer is like that for a lot of people. I can't drink beer because I have celiac disease. But you know the the when it comes down to taking something as simple as like having sugar every day, actually, that was more difficult than I think quitting alcohol for me. Yeah, because. Sugar is not seen as a societal even you know, drinking every day is kind of like you know, people go, Oh, you drink every day, like right. wow, like that's not good for you. But when you go, Yeah, I'd like to have a candy bar, or a bowl of ice cream, or a Rice Krispie treat, or you know, something after dinner, or whatever, <laughs> like, all of people this, go, oh, yeah, yeah all <laughs> at once, why not, you know, and it's a little bit more accepted, so you can get away with it. Meanwhile, your body is in, you know, not, you know, it's not good for you. So, yeah. I have. Come to terms with a lot of these things and understanding why I do a lot of them. And I will say that making things, getting down to the core of my work, like, you know, doing prototyping work, whether it be whatever I'm doing, making something has become the thing that takes me to that same place. Yep. 100%. It is a positive, it is a positive path. And it's not something that's hurting anyone else. And it's not hurting me. It's beneficial to me. I'm being tactile, working with my hands. And these hands were were gifted with that ability. So I just, I feel like every day I get to do the job that I want to do. And I should not take that for granted. I should live my life to its fullest every day. And if I can make something a couple times a week, you know, that's creative, I win. I, I've won, you know, and that's the gift that's been given back to me. So I feel truly blessed to have found this and it's powerful, powerful. Definitely.
1: Yeah. To to change gears or to come full circle a little bit, we were talking a minute ago about helping people and giving back to the community and, you know, how to do your business and all that. You know, a few years, two, three years ago, I started getting serious about the social media side. I was like, okay, this is how marketing happens in this, in this, business world. Now I'm not posting ads in the yellow pages, like saying, Hey, come buy my forge work. It's on social media. And and so I was like, how do I get better at that? And so I started following all these people, you know, I still have all these channels that I follow on multiple platforms that basically all these people do is they go, here's, here's how, um, you get better at social media. You know, so these people are like social media experts and their channel is all about this is what Instagram's doing, this is what TikTok's doing, you know. And so um anyway, I've been following some of those suggestions, you know, but recently in the past like two or three months, what they're saying is on all these platforms, like TikTok, uh Instagram, to some degree, uh Facebook and, and YouTube is, you know, like the, the catchy trending audio is out. That's going away. Hashtags really don't matter anymore. Um, you know, crazy jump cuts in your video and and weird photo work and videos and all that kind of stuff. You know, all the, the video effects that people have been using in these short form uh, videos, all that's going out the window. And what they're saying is it doesn't really matter how you shoot it. It doesn't matter what audio you're using, it doesn't really matter if you use hashtags or not. If your content is not providing value to the people that follow you. If you're not giving them something that's helping them, then then you're not going to grow. And so they were saying that all the platforms are starting to kind of push that. They're starting to pay attention at the creators that are not just entertainers, but that are educators and sharers and honest people you know real people so all four of those things are now taking the place of trending audio and hashtags and funny jump cuts and all that so it's like if you move in that direction of 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 being who you are you know and like whether you like it or not This is Derek. This is (laughs) the same Derek you see on Instagram is the same Derek you're gonna see if if you catch me on the walking trail ten miles down the road. You know, I'm the same guy. And so that's starting to be more rewarded on these platforms, which in the in the end basically just comes down to are you helpful or not? You know, are people following you because they want to be entertained, or are they following you because you're helping them in some niche that they're in and the, and the entertainment part is starting to be pushed, pushed aside
2: mm-hmm. you know, in
1: yeah. favor of being helpful. I,
2: I think too, that the whole influencer thing, everyone has gotten wise to this. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, yeah. we get a lot of people or vendors, companies that want to send me things to use in my videos Yeah, and, or they want me to do a review on it, you know? And, um, but there's this like always this offer, like, hey, we're going to send you this thing, and then you're going to open it on camera, and you're going to create yeah. this much content around it, blah, 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 blah. It's not genuine. I'm sorry. But I'm not going to, like, take your welder or it's
1: not, whatever. It's it no fun.
2: Be. No. And, and honestly, I tell these guys, i like, look, if I use your stuff and it doesn't work right, I'm going to say it in my no video. Probably. And yeah. if you send me junk, I'm going to just say it's junk. And, um, so of course that nixes is like all these, you know, these, uh, things, but I had had a couple of things like sent to me from some of these overseas manufacturers that were really good. And you'll see me wearing them like my welding helmet, which is like, it was like a freebie welding helmet. It was, it was the most inexpensive thing ever. And I love that helmet. It works great. And I'm like, I always talk about it like, Hey, this is a, if you're getting into welding, this is the welder welding helmet that I wear every day when I'm fabricating. And it's like a $50 helmet. And,
1: you
2: know, but none, none of these vendors are gonna basically open themselves up to that uh, kind of thing because they want, they think that you should just take the free thing and give them in return all this advertising. Yeah, And the, the people who are watching this content, they know now, so they know that they, these, People are getting all this stuff for free, and that they're being sold to. And mm-hmm. so, if you're doing this, and you know that's your shtick, you know, more power to you. But you're right, Derek. They're, the the viewer is getting smarter. So, what do they want? They want value. They want to know. They want a they relationship. Are. Yeah, they want. Yes. this. They want to know that. Like, if I message Derek Melton, okay, this is a classic example, Derek. I've got one of your mini switch blocks and I need to clean up the edges and the inside. How do you do that? I've never done that before. Derek goes through a, sends me all the links to all the videos that he did it. And I'm in his exact position for grinders and for just, I just do this exact same thing. Like, yeah. Hey, I made a reel about this. Let me send it to you. And by the way, here's a couple of tips. You know how many people I've messaged that I've bought things from that I get zero response. I am left. Oh, yeah. I yeah. am. I am like, you know, and, and, you know, I have a little clout now, you know, I got, you know, some followers and things and people just don't respond to me. They don't even respond to my comments. They don't, they, you know, things like that. And I talk about this on work for I'm Like, look, if you want to do what we're doing, you want to be in this marketplace, understand comments are responded to DMS are read and responded to thoughtfully you will go through and it might take yeah. a couple of days. That's okay. But you do these things; these are common things that we need to be doing as uh, members of this community. But I'm in a minority, and so are you, Derek. I knew I knew that if I messaged you about that swage block, that I would hear back, and I was
1: right. I'm like within 30 minutes, I had a response. You were like right on top of it. So, in- likewise, you know, I, I reached out. To, I was welding up a, a Gen Five uh, for a buddy of mine, and we had an iPad sitting out. And Brian has fantastic videos and pictures on step-by-step how to build his grinder, you know, and I had an iPad in the shop and me and my friend were walk- walking through it, just pausing it and welding, watching, welding, watching, welding. Well, one thing I didn't recognize was that the the image was a little reverse. So I took the side plate on the grinder I don't know if you remember me. I reached out to you. I said, man, I, I welded this thing the wrong direction. So basically, instead of the grinder tilting this way the way it's supposed to, oh, I had to shoot. plate on the other side so that it would, I was making a left handed grinder basically, you know. Right. Which probably would have worked, but it, it, once I realized the mistake, I was like, oh man. So my, my friend that I was welding this grinder, you know, he was bummed. He was like, man, because we, we welded this thing. We plug welded these one inch holes. You know, I mean, I had like six plug welds that we had done. I, it was ground. It was clean. You couldn't see the welds. And so I, I messaged Brian. I think he actually said, Hey, call me. And so I, I called Brian on the phone and you know, he gave me his number and he was like, Hey, grab some ferric chloride, smear it around. You'll see where those welds are and drill it out. And I just didn't think about that, but I was like, man, that was great. And and the guy that I was with, holy shit! He didn't. That's he didn't know.
0: That. Brilliant tip! I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah,
1: great. Right. It was it was a lifesaver. It was a lifesaver. Yeah, the, but, um, the welds will actually oxidize faster than the regular. Oh, it was like it. It, yeah. it immediately. is like you shown a flashlight. Now you can immediately see where the welds were. It saved our life. But that was an that was a perfect example of Brian being responsive, and. And so my friend was like, Well, man, I'm glad you know Brian. Because I told him, I was like, Yeah, I met Brian at Blade not long ago. It was a great guy. Um, he was like, I'm glad you know Brian. And I was like, Trust me, if I wasn't here and if you were here and you messaged Brian and said, Hey, I'm having trouble, I welded this on the wrong thing, he would have treated you with the same exact response. Yeah. And the reason is is because Brian knows what it's like to send a message and not get a reply. Mm -hmm. And 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 to be honest, even those of us that have big social media following there's really only a small number of people that interact with us on a real high frequency, you know, like the people I message back and forth on Instagram, probably the same group, you know, some fairly small group, you know, however I do try to, I do try to respond to everybody because like Brian was saying it's engagement one in the platforms like that, but two, I know what it's like to send those messages to somebody and then just get ghosted. Nobody likes that. Absolutely. Nobody likes it. I hate it. And I don't want to be doing that to people, especially somebody that's taken the time to, you know, to follow my, what I'm, what I'm doing and to interact with, me. you know, but I think that's huge. Yeah. And for those people that are getting into this and starting this and whether or not asking whether should I make this hobby into a business? Well, if you're going to make that choice, make sure you're committed to engagement mm-hmm. because yeah. without it, without it, you're going to suffer.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yep. Yep. And it, it, the social media game is a real, is a, you, you, it? I think people treat it like, okay, it's just the internet and it's just people making comments on YouTube or comments on Instagram. Somebody took the time to type that thing out and send it, yep. you know, put it out publicly Don't forget that that, you know, that person is putting themselves out there, even if it's just a like, hey, dude, this is great. I really love what you're doing. To just heart that thing is not enough in my book. Yeah, When I see somebody tell me, uh, give me positive affirmation about the work that I did, I always respond and say like, thank you so much. That means a lot. And I really appreciate it because that comment, believe it or not, is support. It's not financial support. But it could ultimately result in financial support because that, you know, the algorithm sees those comments and whatever else. I see all that. So, And on the converse, as I'm surfing Instagram, if I see something I like, I make a comment, too, and Mm -hmm. say, like, hey, I really love what you're doing here. Solid work, clean work, whatever it might be. Just a quick, like, hey, thumbs up. Because... One day that guy might be Mr. Beast, or that might you know who knows? You never know. But at the same time, you're sending positive uh, affirmations out into the world. Yeah, you're you're being you're contributing. Helpful. Yeah, you're being helpful by supporting that person's work. And a lot of times now, people see my name, and I'm you know they're like they consider me somewhat internet famous and all that. And I love that. I think that's great. But that means more to them. They see a little blue check mark. They're like, oh, Brian, you know, that's Brian. He's verified and all of stuff. I'm just like it's. You know what, man? I put my pants on one leg at a time. I see this hard work. I see this hustle. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And I want you to know that I'm here watching. And now that I'm older, and Derek, you probably know this too, is that people see us sort of as father figures. we got a lot of guys who are in their 20s and 30s who didn't have strong male influence in their lives. And they're looking for someone who's older than them to yeah. kind of you know, give them some attaboys. And if you do solid work, and I give it to you, I it's.
1: Hey, man, that's a weighty responsibility genuine. too. Yeah, I it mean, is. I it mean, mean, think it, about how it, many
2: men are raised by women in this yeah. in this world, only, right? And they don't have, they do not have a solid male influence mm-hmm. in their. Even lives. if, so even if they, you might be it.
0: Even if they do have a male influence in their lives, it might not be
2: a solid
1: one. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it might not be a good one. Yeah, that's. A really and good I see one. it like and, that. That's I see fair. these younger guys and they're hustling
2: and I, and they, and I, they come to me and they ask me my advice and I'm like, who the hell am I to give advice? You know, I shouldn't be giving advice, but I, I, you know, I, I think I've had enough life experience now to where I can like confidently talk on certain yeah. subjects.
1: Oh man, I'm shocked and, all the time that I'm 51 years old. I'm like, Wait, <laughs> I'm, you know, you look that, I'm old? yeah. 22. Um, I I thought I was turning 43. uh,
0: My wife was like, no, you just turned 42. What are you talking about? Oh, sweet. (laughs) I keep
1: keep having to remind myself that I'm I'm an older gentleman now, but you know, it's like, I enjoy talking to people too, because Mm -hmm. the people that are talking to me are interested in the same things I'm interested in. Right. Yeah. I I love my wife and children to death. The most important thing in my world. Right. But, to some degree, when I start talking about blacksmithing and forge work, I can see their eyes kind of start glazing over you know, and so i you know i don't i don't it's not that I don't want to talk to them about it. I just know that we have different interests, you know yeah, we're different sure. different different people we have different interests, and I know when I'm like being that guy, and I'm starting to make their eyes glaze over and so Instagram, which is where I spend the majority of my social uh energy is where I get to release all that, you know, it's where I get to bounce ideas off of other craftsmen. It's where I get to talk to other people who are interested, you know, in the same kind of things. And so, um, you know, it's not just about marketing. It's, it's a, it's a, it's an honest to goodness relationship Mm -hmm. thing. And, And I have, I have made relationships with people just through Instagram, you know, that, I mean, they're, they're, they're very good friends now. You know, and some of them I still have not met in person, but we talk all the time. Look, let me give you one example. Now, I've met this guy in person, but me and Michael Hoops. Do y'all know Hoops? Oh, heck yeah, heck yeah, Hoops. I mean, we have a very similar uh, sense of humor. He's my meme guy. You know, I kid you not. We we probably send each other. I, this is not an exaggeration. We probably send each other probably 30 or 40 memes a day.
0: Oh my God. Throughout the, no. throughout the day. Right?
1: <laughs> Such a time lost, killer. <laughs> you know, well, it's just like, he'll send me a meme and then I'll send him one back. And, you know, they're all kind of, sometimes it's kind of slightly questionable people getting hurt, you know, or <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah. But, but, you know, I've I've met Hoops in person once, but we've had the, kind of this internet relationship. We do a lot of the similar kind of blacksmith work. You know, he he sells his stuff a similar way as a web-based business. And but that's a um, that's a, I'm just going to show you. So this is Michael Hoops. Uh, this is his. This is me and Michael's uh, Instagram. I don't know if this is going to be a video podcast. Whoa! What is that? <laughs> no,
0: I'm not, I'm not showing video. better.
1: Look, I'm look before I share it. But look, look.
0: It's meme after meme after meme, oh,
1: it's or- my <laughs> oh, my yeah. it's meme after. Here's the deal: it's a relationship. Yeah, sure. I, Michael's a Michael's a friend of mine, you know. And I I don't we we've had some personal conversations. You know, the, some of the struggles that I've shared here today, me and Michael have talked about similar, not the same thing, but similar personal struggles. Those conversations wouldn't have happened without this craft in this community, a hundred percent, you know, and I think that's just awesome. So, I mean, there, you know, social media is a necessary evil as far as marketing, but man, I still think uh, from a craftsman's perspective, it's a net good, it's a net positive, you know, because of the relationship building. And that's, that's really how I kind of look at it. I want, I want it. I want to have a relationship with people that are following me in that, you know, I'm offering them some something of value and, and we're trading ideas, you know, and so anyway, I'm not sure where I was going with that. But. No, it's funny that you
0: brought up the father figure thing because I do look at you guys in that aspect. Uh, I'm not a heck of a lot younger than you. I'm 42 now, but I still do look up to you guys in that essence that – you guys have uh, a fatherly knowledge per se. You've been through things. You've seen things. You've obviously got Derek yourself for uh, for sure. You've got a lot of experience in, in the blacksmithing world. Brian, you've got a lot of experience in the business world. So there's th- these are two aspects that I'm very hungry for that I look up to you guys. And I know there's a lot of other people that look up to you for that where a lot of this whole wanting to bring you two guys together comes from is I've recently, I've I, I read the guy's books before somewhat. I haven't finished them because I, I suck at finishing books. But Mark Manson wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck and he's actually got a podcast out now. I blasted through every episode of that podcast in less than a week because I was just like give me more of this positivity. I can't get enough of it. And one of the biggest things that he brings up is what we mostly yearn for as human beings is community and connection and when you got these 20 year old guys that come into a craft they're looking at at, at our craft and they see there's a community there it's now they're not just they're not just taking this on as a craft they're taking this on as a community as well and having guys like yourself that embrace that it just helps drive those people further more into embracing our community and our craft. And uh mm-hmm.
1: I thank you both for that very much. Oh man I just I love it. Yeah. I love doing it. We we the rising park- tide lifts all ships, man. Yeah,
2: That's yeah, right. Yeah,
0: you said that your, before
2: your 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 success is my success. And so if if, if we can do that together, then that's I think that's the reason why these guys are looking, you know, the, I don't know about you guys, but there's been a lot of the work that I've done in the past where there's a lot of the gatekeeping stuff going on and it seems like in metalwork that is just not the case. You know, there is just so many people that are willing to share their knowledge. Yeah. And I think that from a even like even woodworkers, you know, like woodworkers keep a lot of stuff close to the chest, you know, they don't want to they don't want to share I think maybe that's changing now with the generations uh, behind us. But I think that the metalworking in particular, even the older, some of the older guys that I've met, some of them are, you know, a little standoffish, but a lot of them are very open to sharing. And so, you know, we are stewards of the same knowledge and we need to just keep, keep moving it on and passing it through. There's never been a community like this. I have said this so many times, I found my freaks, man. There's yeah. so many people who are a lot like me and they're doing the same stuff I'm doing and they have probably lived a lot of the same experiences that I've lived. So when we sit down like Blade Show is, this is the reason I love Blade Show. You go to Blade Show and you can turn around and meet a thousand people that have similar stories and they love hearing your stories and they want and they want to tell you theirs. And so you're back and forth. All you, you could you could be there for a month and not hear them all you know, and that's what I think I love about the, you know, that show. And while I'll continue to go to it and while I will never really have a booth unless somebody else runs it for me, because I can't be stuck in one place. I need to move around. You know, (laughs) it's like I want to bounce around and just talk to everybody because never has there been a place where you can meet so many people that are, that have the same commonalities as we have, uh, same curiosities that we have. And I think that's like the important part of this. Have you so I respect you guys, by the way, a lot, both of you. For yeah,
1: absolutely. Likewise, take
2: off. <laughs> oh yes, What is does it take off, eh?
1: Yeah, hoser, hoser. Yeah,
2: <laughs> run. Have
1: you, you know, I think the first time you and I met was at Blade Show, and and since then you've started kind of venturing out into blacksmithing a little bit more. I've, I saw that you went to this guy's shop. Hey, he had, he had kind of like an old. Style blacksmith shop, and um, it was like a couple of months after that you were doing the scoops and and um kind of expanding in that way. I think you would find the same kind of uh, reception that you got at Blade at blacksmith conferences. Yeah,
0: I agree. Yeah, well, I don't, don't know if you've gone to. Go.
1: Yeah, Maker Camp. Yeah, that's Maker Camp is kind of a unique animal. I've never been there. I really want to go, but. Um, Uh, Like there's a, there's a big conference that happens in Georgia. There's a conference that happens in Alabama, the, the Batson bladesmithing thing. And then there's the, the Alabama forge council that happens in the, in the fall, the blade, the blade symposium is in the spring, but anyway, every state has these blacksmith conferences, quad state, you know, those big events, you find the same kind of thing. Uh, at those events are you part of
2: i think i would probably go that way brian i am not no i'm not a, i'm i've never been a joiner but i i like to hang out and um but i i will say that i think you're right derek i need to go to these blacksmithing events because what i'm learning is i like i like knife making and i enjoy it um but i find like doing the other movements with steel it's similar work, but I really enjoy that too, so mm-hmm. i'm like I'm you know really in loving forging and and working hot metal and it's giving me um it, it's really like giving me lots of concepts and ideas for business, you know my mind always oh, goes yeah. in that direction you know for yeah. commerce you know and well the grinder's also, in
1: use just as much over there as it is in bladesmithing, sure yeah.
2: yes, and that's that's what I also see um and then I think the other part of me really wants to just learn, you know, like see what these guys are doing and what projects are they working on. And um, Jeff Fader told me this, he's like, the more you blacksmith, the more you'll understand how to make tooling for people who do Mm -hmm. this work. And maybe the way your mind works, you're going to see a process and you're going to take that to a different place for someone and solve a problem for that community as well. So maybe, you know, and and I definitely agree with you. I have a hard time leaving my shop. I have a hard time. Oh, I can I'm imagine. A homebody. I'm a homebody. And I, I go. I drive 20 miles to my shop and 20 miles home, and I'm not really – I don't go anywhere else, even get my food delivered. Like I'm like really weird about stuff like that. But it's like it's it. it I am uh, – when I leave to go to Blade, initially I'm a little anxious, and then I get there, and I'm like, oh, I feel great. you know. So I yeah, I was just saying – I was I making the that.
1: point. Yeah. You'll feel the same way at these other conferences. You know. For sure, I'm not trying, I'm not agree. shaming you about not going. I'm just saying, I think, I think you'll, you'll find the same experience and you'll love it just as much. Quit pressuring me, Derek. Jeez, <laughs> Get out there.
0: <laughs> so how, how about we uh, change the tune a little bit here uh, to, to a tune. I'd like to know what it is that you boys like to throw on when you're in the shop, as far as music goes, or what it is that you find really inspires you throw out a, uh, the name of a song and a band that really turns ch- ch- your crank.
1: You go first. Brian. I've got. A,
2: I've got a great answer for this. So I have been listening, and this has been a common theme in my life for the last, say, ten years. But I listen to a lot of jazz, and I'm talking mm. New York basement. You know, uh, Miles Davis. Nice. You know, era. Jazz, and and you'll hear it sometimes in the background of some of my reels and stuff. Um, and it's because you, when you turn on jazz, you can forget about everything else. Ooh, yeah. And the music will kind of move around you, but you are in the music in it. Whereas yeah. if I were to say listen to a band that has a vocalist and has like you know things that I like, Tool, for instance, I love Tool. If I listen to Tool. I want to sing along. I want to like, you know, I want to do this and I want to get crazy. You know, I want to like be a part of the band. Whereas jazz fills my space with like mathematical music Mm. that just kind of flows around me and creates an environment. And this is going to sound crazy, but I imagine myself in like the basement of a seedy New York bar. And I'm listening to some dude Hammer out this amazing solo on a trumpet or a saxophone or a piano, and I'm getting an experience that me and maybe 10 other people on the planet are ever going to see. And it takes me to a place, especially when I'm working on like just hammering hot steel or making a knife or something, where it allows my brain to do two things at once and not kind of, you know, modify what I'm, you know, not influence my work too much.
1: If I had to, uh, I'm an 80s music nut. I just, I, I can't get enough of 80s. I mean, it's the, it's, you know, it's when I grew up. I was born in 72. And so all those 80s bands are just like imprinted on my mind forever. Like it, I love Crowded House, Don Henley, yeah. and all, you know, those, that kind of stuff. I could, I could never, I'd never get tired of it. But if I want to listen to like instrumental music, and this is, this will tell you, this will show you that I'm getting to be an old man. I'm starting to really like and dig bluegrass.
0: Mm, yes. And so I'm
1: starting to listen to some bluegrass uh, occasionally in the shop. But, and also will throw on a podcast and a lot of times and listen to a podcast when I'm in the shop.
0: What's a, uh, what's a, a bluegrass song if I wanted to throw one on my list that you could
2: recommend?
1: Oh man, I just added these guys the other day. Um terrible with names.
2: Blueground Undergrass. Blueground Undergrass and um leftover salmon. There's like a whole bunch of uh, great like more modern bluegrass bands that have been coming out recently. that I I love right, so grass. I
1: started listening to bluegrass based off of this soundtrack, all right? And uh, you ever seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I started listening to that uh, that soundtrack. And so um, there's a, a guy named John Hartford that sings, I'm a man of constant sorrow. Yes. Uh, me, and, me and some guys at work got together at a work talent show one time and sang that uh, <laughs> this work talent show. But um, I started listening to that guy. And then Ralph Stanley, he's like an old classic bluegrass guy and um then there's some newer bluegrass and so a lot of times what i do is i open spotify and i create a, a dj playlist and so i i won't know what i'm listening to a lot of times mm-hmm. i'll just say hey dj play me some bluegrass and it'll start you know so i kind of like the ones I, I like and i skip past the ones i don't and the longer you listen to it the more the uh, playlist kind of adapts to what you like and so
0: oh, yeah <laughs> You brought up Mild or Miles Davis, Brian, which is super awesome because it just happens to fall exactly into conjunction with the band that I wanted to throw onto this. I recently been listening to Frankie and the Witch Fingers, and they've got a song, oh. Mild Davis, not Miles Davis, but Mild <laughs> Davis. And it oh, I like oh it. it is so good, dude. I absolutely just love this band. So I highly recommend you check those guys out. If you Frankie out. and the what? And the Witchfingers, it's a very, Witch very cool, interesting band. That's they're different. It's not uh, okay. not t- typical to what you're going to find on the radio nowadays. I don't, I don't think. Maybe, apparently, they're somewhat of a well-known band. So maybe, maybe it is more common down in the United States. I don't think they're well-known in Canada. But then again, I'm out of the loop, man. I'm 42 years old. I don't know music nowadays like kids know music, but. I, you guys were mentioning blacksmithing conferences and getting together. Um Abana's having, having their fiftieth conference coming up June sixth to ninth in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Highly recommend you I'll check that out. Booyah.
1: Yes. First
0: <laughs> first guest that's actually gonna be there.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna be demonstrating there. That's oh, why nice. I won't oh, be fantastic this year. What are you demonstrating? So, um they've asked me to come and demonstrate induction forging. Cool. So I'm working with the guys at Coal Iron. Uh Coal Iron's going to bring their machines and I'm going to make some stuff with it. Yeah, right on, man. Basically just show, hey, here's here a lot of us have used gas and and coal or coke for a long time and the way you forge in gas and coke is completely different than the way you forge with induction, you know. Mm-hmm. And so my process for making something in induction is completely different than my process for making that thing in propane. So I'm going to kind of demonstrate the difference in those processes. Brilliant. And Brilliant. I'll bring a bunch of different coils and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, mm. I can't wait, man. I just hate I'm going to blade.
0: Yeah. If you need coils, I love Anon my man at Claron Forges custom making coils of any uh, size. Look, I'm bringing a
1: box of coils. There yeah. you go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Terry's great. I I just bought a bunch of coils from him and I bought the, uh, the long, uh, the wand
1: flexible, the wand. Yeah. yeah. I
2: bought that. Look, yeah, I don't know if you
1: saw that. this in my story, but take the ring off your hand.
2: <laughs>
1: if you ever, yes. Man, I found out. Yeah. I found the if you grab carbide. that, you man, died. if you grab that wand,
0: Ooh, what the hell you guys work in a shop, you should never wear
1: jewelry of any sort. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> if you grab that wand and you've got something conductive, it'll light that ring up real quick. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Abana is going to be great. Cool, right on, yeah, man. That'll be cool. Yeah. When when is that again? Tell me the date. Same weekend as Blade, June sixth through ninth. I think that's correct. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man.
2: I and because I if you're demonstrating and it's in, at the is it at the New England School of Metalwork in Johnstown, in Johnstown. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. we're going to be doing tours of the. Metal Workplace. I team can't forging, wait to see that.
0: Team, team Forging competition with a $1,000 uh, prize, prize pack. Yeah. Sweet, man. Um, and, and, of course, this – uh, episode has been brought to you by Maritime Knife Supply. Please check out MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca. Not only does Maritime Knife Supply support us, but he also supports Housemade and the Work For It podcast. You can go to Maritime Knife Supply. You use the code FSCKILN. You'll save yourself $100 on checkout with Even Heat and Paragon Kilns. You can buy yourself a 10-pack of belts. You'll save 10%. That gives you a free belt. That's at MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca or .com tell Lawrence that we sent you and say, take off a, eh? have a good day on that. Note boys. I think we've been sitting down for close to two hours. I'm sure Brian, I know how that's, busy of a man you are. You've probably got a day ahead of you yet. Still.
2: Great time. Thank you both so much for so your thank time. You once so again, so much for man. inviting us.
1: Oh man. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. Yeah. I really yeah. appreciate it, it was honored honored to be asked
0: oh geez you guys are making me blush here okay I'm gonna go shed a couple of tears now thank you very much again and uh I don't know if one of you can follow me up on this I'm sure you've heard it before
2: <laughs>
1: my voice doesn't go that high anymore take we're off, done man. good day eh?
0: <laughs> take off Yes, sir.